Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. I'm the great Brian Last, and it's my pleasure to be with you once again as we look at Mid-South Wrestling Television from March 20th, 1982. And without any further ado, the man who will be with me on this journey, Mike Mills. Mike, this is a big episode. We've talked about it. We talked about it last week, that things would really start picking up. This is the week things start picking up. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for, like, filibustering at the beginning and whatnot, but I'm just ready to jump into this because we've got somebody making a debut in Mid-South on this week. So, and then we got Boyd Pierce, who's, oh my God, the suit is glorious. I want one like it. We <laughs> This episode, I mean, I can't be any more over the top. It's just, we need to get into this because this is a hot episode. Jim Ross debuts this week on Mid-South Wrestling. Of course, he had been the longtime commentator on Leroy McGurk's television show. Bill Watts is the one who brought him into the business when Bill Watts was Leroy's partner. And now finally, since Bill has absorbed Oklahoma and Arkansas and taken over Leroy McGurk's territory, Jim Ross is in the fold. So we get to see him on commentary on Mid-South for the very first time. And like you said, let's just jump into it. We'll talk a little bit more about it on the other side. And also there's uh, some other stuff going on here beyond just the usual show intro. We'll talk about that on the other side as well. Hi, Rashing fans. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and Grizzly Smith with another outstanding card. It'll be headlined by a North American title match. He promised you that Ted DiBiase would defend his coveted crown against either Paul Arndorf or Bob Roop, and it will be Paul Arndorf. That means that Bob Roop will be barred from the ring during this title match, and should he come to the ring and interfere in any way, not only will Bob Roop be suspended, but also Paul Arndorf will be. You'll notice on my left a new face here on Mid-South Wrestling. He's our guest, and I'll go with some of his background. He's educated from Oklahoma State University and Northeastern State. His name, Jim Ross. Jim, we're glad to have you with us, but continuing his background, the only person, the only referee in amateur ranks to referee in the state of Oklahoma, basketball, football, and baseball. That's really something. And he's a national commentator for ESPN Rodeo Professionally. He has his own... Uh, TV wrestling commentary shows in many areas. And ladies and gentlemen, he called me up and he said, Boyd, wherever I go, people are buzzing and talking about the enthusiasm and the great grapplers you have on Mid-South Wrestling and asked, could he come here and watch it in person? And I was only too glad I invited him not only come here, but he will be our guest commentator. And Jim, we welcome you wholeheartedly. Well, thank you very much, Boyd. It's certainly a pleasure to be here in, in this great state. And uh, there's a, everywhere I go, and it's really the truth, People are talking about Mid-South wrestling. The wrestling in the Mid-South area, and I know many of you people see wrestling from other parts of the country on the cable and, and other overlapping uh, television systems, and I think that uh, the proof is there. Uh, the greatest wrestlers, the greatest matchups of competition right here in the Mid-South area, and, and I'm very excited about this great card that Matchmaker Grizzly Smith has prepared today. Some of the faces uh, will be new to me, but many of them I've seen before, and uh, it should be a very exciting hour. Jim, before we get into the actual matches, I'm just a country boy, as all of yours will tell you. I love them, and I appreciate them all, but you can break it down with your knowledge that you have attained. You're a lot smarter than I am. I want you to tell them about the recent surgery of Ernie Ladd and break it down and explain it to them in a way Excuse that I'm sure me. they'll understand Excuse it. Excuse me, Mr. Boyd Pierce. I told Grizzly Smith before the show, I told you, and I want to say it again because it's very crucial. You know, this past week in the situation for this title match, I felt I was the number one contender all along. But when Grizzly Smith called me and said, Bob, 
They're evaluated and we feel like Paul Orndorff was the number one contender. I took it like I didn't cry, I didn't moan, I didn't whimper. I took it like a man that I am. But something that I know that nobody else out here knows is that there's something really bad has happened to Paul Orndorff this past week. He had a cage match with Ted DiBiase. Now, he asked for the cage match. He wanted to get Ted DiBiase in there with no interference and prove it to everybody once and for all that he was better than Ted DiBiase. You know what happened? He got beat right in the middle. Perfect Paul Orndorff got beat one, two, three. And, now of course, I didn't feel that way, but I guess everybody else felt, well, Ted DiBiase is a much better man than Paul Orndorff when it comes right down to it. I told Paul that DiBiase was just lucky, but... I was talking to Paul a couple days ago, and he was really down. You know, the guy feels like he's got a chink in his arm or he's lost his confidence, you might say. He told me, Bob, every time I've gone on TV against Ted DiBiase, he's embarrassed me. I, I don't win the title. He walks out of there looking better than I do. He said, Bob, I don't know if I can stand it. Millions of people watch the show. He says, I don't know if I can stand to go on television one more time and get beat by Ted DiBiase. And, boy, what I'm saying is that I don't think that Paul Orndorff is going to be here today. And I'm number two trying harder. I want the match. Now, I want, you're the voice of Mid-South Sports, and I want you to help me out here. Bob, I can't help you or anybody else. I've explained it to you week after week. You've come here. Other grafters have come here. I have nothing to do with it. I'm a host of this program. Rizzy Smith is official matchmaker for Mid-South Racing, and we are partial in no way. That's between you and him. I have nothing to do with it whatsoever. You don't understand. This, I, I mean, I said I didn't think so, but I can almost guarantee Paul Orndorff isn't going to be here today. I mean, it's going to be all messed up. I want the match. Bob, you have a match against Killer Carl Cox. Paul Orndorff has a title match going for the North American belt held by Ted DiBiase. That's the way it is. It'll be between you and Grizzly Smith. I'm going to talk to That's Grizzly. all right. Jim, I'm sorry about the interference. Oh, yes. As we get back to you now. A lot going on there, Mike. First of all, of course, the debut of Jim Ross, known from ESPN Rodeo, apparently, and his other <laughs> wrestling commentary shows. I don't, I don't know what the hell they're talking about there. And he's much smarter than Boyd. Boyd used to kiss Bill Watts' ass, but never anything like this, where I'm just not going to say anything. I'm a country boy, and you're much smarter than me. Like, what? Where did that come from? I, I don't know, man. That was, but that killed me when <laughs> the the ESPN rodeo broadcast I didn't remember that or oh, I didn't remember him saying this let me say that I've never seen a Jim Ross rodeo broadcast but my point is yeah that one was like he 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 commentated on rodeos okay uh, I guess this is pretty damn amazing for one fact JR for what he is now a 60 some odd year old man, nearly 70, 66, I believe he is. He is only 30 years old right here. So it's just pretty amazing when you think back to JR starting or not starting right here, but his debut on Mid-South. And then there's just so much going on and what they talked about too, Brian. He becomes the second best announcer in the company behind Bill Watts. And he remains that way until Watts stops commentating. And Jim Ross, this is really the beginning of the period of time between here and 1990 where he becomes a fantastic announcer. And by the time of 1989, he's the best in the business by far. So this is really the beginning of that. And you can see that, you know, unlike the Jim Ross that we've seen for a while now, he's energetic, there's enthusiasm, or at least he's able to feign it. He's able to portray that, even if it isn't real. But 
he's a likable guy sitting there on commentary. You you want to like the guy? You want to hear what he has to say? Oh yeah, he's a fan- he's a he's a fantastic you know commentator right here. There's no another way to say it. I mean, he I I, I remember I was I was rewatching this uh, about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, and I had made a comment about it on Twitter and. And then uh, Doc and I were talking about it. That's what it was on BTT one time. And Doc said, I think JR looked lost. I was like, I don't know what you're looking at, man. He didn't look lost right there. He's he 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 looks young, but I'm not going to say he was he was lost. Um, I just think he's he's just so young here. I think, you know, the thing is, man, everybody thinks of not everybody, but JR became, I guess, so popular during the Monday Night Wars, you know, because there were so many eyes on wrestling at that point nationally. And. I don't think people realize when he first gets his start, one of the first times I saw him in mid South, like there's a, there's a difference between that Jr. And even the, the Monday night wars, Jr. Uh, I think Jr. Even from the, from the start right here is pretty damn good. Yeah. And obviously I don't know if he was nervous or not, but he definitely tries to get as much out as he can during this broadcast. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we move on. But Bob Roop comes out. We talked a little bit about it last week, the teasing of the dissension between Roop and Orndorff and how it really wasn't that much. It was kind of very minor. You figure down the road something will happen. This is one week later. The show opens with the announcement that Orndorff was granted the title match against Ted DiBiase, but Roop is saying he's not there. Either there was an injury in a cage match or he hasn't shown up, but he's not there and now Roop wants the match. Yeah, this is real sketchy on Roop's part. You can tell from the get-go because he even looks like someone lying. What I mean by that is when people lie, they kind of they kind of ramble a little bit as they try to convince you of their point. And he's just rambling, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I don't think he's gonna be here. He's, he's talking about how he's scared, and I don't think he's gonna be here. And he's talking about he's scared, and I just don't think he's gonna make it. Well, damn, how do you have so much insight? He's not gonna be here, Bob. I mean, so. It's you really start to see now, okay, Roop Roop looks like he's up to something because he looks like he's lying here. You also get to see why it was so cool in Mid-South that even though Boyd is clearly a good guy, you know, when it comes to the world of announcing, he doesn't back down. Well, there's nothing I can do. Go talk to Grizzly Smith. He's right. I mean, literally, he's in Bob Roop's face. Bob Roop is sitting right on top of Boyd and Boyd doesn't flinch. You know, he's not (laughs) pretending he's afraid. He's concerned. He's wondering what's really going on. But there's a confidence in knowing he's the host and no one's going to hit him. And I think wrestling needs that confident, strong hosts for the program that, you know, the heels and baby faces are treated the same by that person. There's something to that. in the fact that he, he's not, he's almost like an authority figure, but not an authority figure. Cause I kind of hate that in wrestling. And what I mean by that is he's like, look, you're telling me this. I'm not the matchmaker. That's Grizzly Smith's job. I'm just a commentator out here commentating on the matches. Do not come to me with that. He's just, he's being assertive. He's not being aggressive. And that's all you want from him right there. From there, we're going to get a little bit of a Jim Ross showcase here as they show us footage of Ernie Ladd's knee surgery in Columbus, Georgia. Dr. James Andrews, an early mention of Dr. James Andrews on a wrestling show, right? I mean, think about it. He did all those famous surgeries. 1982. Here's Dr. James Andrews. He's still doing surgeries on WWE guys. Here he is in 1982 doing Ernie Ladd's knee surgery. We get footage of it and we get Jim Ross explaining to us what we see. Let's listen to this right now. Well, as most of the wrestling fans know, Ernie Ladd suffered a very severe injury at the hands of General Skandar Akbar's one-man gang. And uh, of course, 
Ernie had had several surgeries before uh, through the illustrious National Football League career that he had, the great football player that he was. Even though he's controversial in the rings at time, uh, he still is a tremendous athlete. Well, this knee was torn up uh, just a, a terrible, terrible uh, injury. But uh, Dr. James Andrews, a, a very renowned orthopedic specialist who has operated on such people as wrestlers, the fans will know as Tommy Rich, Paul Ellering. He's also operated on uh, Fran Tarkenton, the former quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. He did the surgery. The thing to remember about the surgery is that the convalescent time is very, very quick. I'll talk a little bit more about that, Boyd. But right now, I think the fans will be interested to see the, this, this film. And before we show it, this is an actual operation being being done, and if you are a little bit uh, weak stomach, a little squeamish, you might want to turn your head on some of the scenes, but this is the actual operation as it took place. Let's run that film now. Wrestling fans on February the 26th in Columbus, Georgia at the Houston Orthopedic Clinic, Dr. James Andrews operated on the injured leg of Ernie Ladd, and as this operation takes place, this key footage, and we will have some parts of this film that may be a little bit squeamish to some members of the family, but there you see the telescopic device being inserted directly into the knee of the six foot nine former Grambling football star Ernie Ladd as the natural fluids come out of the knee, the lubricant caused by the bursa sac in the knee to keep the knee naturally lubricated, and the telescopic device being put right in, and we'll be able to see inside the knee momentarily the surgical device, the cutting device on the bottom side of the knee, we won't see that. And now as the camera moves up, you can see the television screen in the foreground on your screen, and there we are right inside the knee, and there you see the cutting device, the scraping device has already been inserted, a very small incision made into the knee, and the microscope, you can see exactly as the same thing that the orthopedic surgeons are seeing, they're operating through the television screen. They have gone inside the knee and they're scraping away at the damaged calcium deposits, the corn, uh, torn cartilage, and other debris in the knee caused by the tremendous amount of punishment by General Skandar Akbar's one-man gang. And Ernie Ladd has had nine previous knee surgeries, a great athlete. And this surgery, of course, was the most delicate of all the knee surgeries he's had in the past. They're searching for damaged tissue in the knee, the fine fibers, the fine peach fuzz-like uh, material inside the knee is a damaged nerve ends, there's damaged cartilage, damaged tissue in the leg, and this is all being scraped away, scraped away from the leg and sucked through a suction device out of the knee, and in hopes of doing this, they will repair some of the damage and most of the damage that was inflicted by the one-man gang. A very delicate operation, the same type of operation that has been performed on such great athletes as Fran Tarkington of the Minnesota Vikings, uh, professional wrestlers Tommy Rich and Paul Ellering, and now the surgery is complete. They're wrapping Ernie Ladd's leg and in hopes that he will get back on the recovery trail on a successful surgery. That's Ernie Ladd's operation. One point I'd like for the wrestling fans to remember, this operation took several hours and uh, performed very successfully, I might add, by Dr. James Andrews. The operation in the film edited down to where we can show it on this portion of the Mid-South Sports. The operation did take several hours. It was very successful. And, boy, the main thing that the fans should remember about this type of surgery is that the convalescent time, the recovery time in, in common terms, is very, very quick. The very next day after this surgery was complete, Ernie Ladd started his rehabilitation. Rehabilitation. He's back on the way to rehabilitating that leg. He has come back from it before. He's a great athlete, and I think we're going to hear more from Ernie Ladd in the future. Right, Jim, and Ernie Ladd was here two weeks ago. He was on crutches. He made an interview, so let's listen to what he had to say at that time.
And here, Mike, they recap the interview. I think it was two weeks back where Reeser, and I got to say, you know, I, I, I forgot a big point last week. Reeser interviews Bob Roop and Paul Orndorff. And I don't know, it hit me in the middle of it. It's like John Landis is producing Reeser. And what I mean is, you ever see one of those Eddie Murphy movies where something's happening, you know, the, the, the Duke brothers say something crazy, and he turns and he looks right at the camera, and then he goes back to the movie? Like, for one second, they break that wall, and they look into the eye of the audience, and then they go back to the fantasy world in a movie. Reeser does that. Whoever's talking to him, he turns up and he looks at the camera almost to say, I'm looking at you, and he goes back, right back to the interview. But they recap the interview with Reeser and Ernie Ladd, where they talk about Ernie's injury, but... Here's Jim Ross. Here we are, Michael, almost 10 minutes into this show. Nothing silly, nothing goofy. The commentators are treating everything seriously. It's really strong stuff so far. Yeah, they, they're treating it like a, a, a real sport, a, a real sporting event. I mean, because things like this happen in real sports where people get injured. In the case of Ernie Ladd, he's had this knee surgery. And, you know, we never see Ladd's face in the footage. But Jay also mentions that, you know, he, he solidifies it by saying, hey, you know, guys like Fran Tarkenton, Tommy Rich, Paul Ellering, they've all had the same surgery, you know, and Jr. then sells us on the recovery time. It can be very quick, you know, as to say, hey, if that's a way of planting a seed that if Ladd does come back sooner than expected, this is why, you know, we only see a few minutes of the surgery, obviously. And um, but the seeds are planted that Ernie will be back sooner rather than later. And that doesn't mean he will be back soon. It just means that he can come back soon. And I just thought this was really, really solid from from jr right here as he walked us through it and i think it sold the fact when he mentions names like fran tarkenton had the surgery because he was a you know a big football name uh in the 70s so uh the other thing too is uh after that when they replay the the Reeser bowden and ernie ladd interview i'd like i, I want to remind everyone what ernie ernie ladd said he said i, I might have been a backstabber but a coward i am not and then he promises he's coming back and he'll re retool and, and get his revenge just really good stuff nothing cartoonish nothing hokey here seriousness on everything they've done in the first 11 minutes of this episode you could tell dr james andrews didn't have that superstar clientele just yet if they go from fran tarkenton to tommy rich and paul ellery <laughs> it's a big step down but anyway let's move on now here mike our first match uh, after a recap of the one-man gang, and they're now calling him officially the one-man gang, injuring yes, Ernie Ladd, injuring Dick Murdoch, we get the one-man gang versus Buddy Landell from Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, uh, this match ends really quick. Uh, I did have one question for you. Did you see when Gang body slammed Buddy Landell and when he hit the ropes opposite the hard camera? There's a girl in the front row. Her eyes got like really, <laughs> really big as like saying, whoa, because I mean, I can tell you standing next to Gang, he is an impressive sight. I mean, he is a large man and I don't know if she was just looking like that because she was like, oh, my God, is he going to come through those ropes? Are those ropes going to hold him? Or she just was like, oh, shoot, that is a huge man uh, in that ring. So I don't know if you noticed that, but this thing didn't go on long. And that was that one man gang wins. What did you have from it? Just his speed. When he hit when he does the splash, he hits the ropes really quickly and he yeah. jumps back. It's like very sudden. So it's uh, really cool because it has impact that here's this guy. Yeah. He's big and he's strong. He can hurt people, and he's also quick when he needs to be. Yeah, Gang, a lot, I don't know if people realize, like, you know, he's younger. I mean, he was a big man, obviously, always, but um, 
he was quick. I mean, he was, he was, I mean, for the time in that time period, I always saw him as a, as a pretty agile big man. I mean, he wasn't like a lumbering big man. I, he wasn't doing hurricane runners. That's not my point. Nor was he doing dives over the top and through the ropes, but for a man his size, and he is a huge dude. He was, he was nimble, good on his feet. So in that opening segment, Bob Roop comes out, explains the situation. Boyd Pierce says, look, no matter what, you have a match with Killer Carl Cox, and it's coming up. And that match comes up right here. We're going to play audio from the very beginning of Bob Roop talking to Reeser Bowden in the middle of the ring and everything that happens, and then we'll talk about it a little bit on the other side. This event is for one fall with a 10-minute time limit. In the red corner, at 252 pounds from Blacksburg, Virginia, Bob Roop. Reeser, wait a minute. Maybe you can help me, man. I try to tell these guys over here, Paul Orndorff isn't going to be here today, and I shouldn't wrestle in this match because if I might get picked, you know, if he doesn't show up or something, I might get picked to take his place against Ted DiBiase. Killer Carl Cox is a tough guy. I don't want to be wrestling against him, and then maybe have to come back and help me. Reese, help me do something. He's tough, all right. Would you, can you help me? I mean, get this match changed or something? I'm afraid not. You you've, can't help me? You've signed for this match, Bob. Yes, but the, I'm trying to tell you this. The, I, <laughs> well, there you have it. Bob Roop is a bit upset. Reeser Bowden, no help whatsoever to Bob Roop here. <laughs> I love Mr. Personality is at it once again. <laughs> Bob Roop is like, Bob Roop's like, um, well, you've got a match there, Bob. I don't know what to tell you. you know, he's just he's just so matter of fact and just uninterested in Bob Roop's concern. He just does not care. He gives zero Fs about it at this point. He's like, you've got a match. Just I mean, basically, he goes, suck it up, buttercup. There's nothing we can do about it right here. But the the way he says it, just, it's Reeser. It's Reeser at his best. Yeah, nothing can phase him. Like, he's in his Reeser zone, and it doesn't matter. Oh, he is mighty well, tough. <laughs> That's what, what can you do to help me, Reeser? I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> it's so funny. The lead heel is begging Reeser Bowden, and Reeser Bowden just does not give a crap at all. He just wants to move on with the show. The only thing Reeser's ever given about is when he said, when when Ellering said, can you dig it? And he said, I can. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the most we've seen from Reeser. Although I've seen Reeser a couple of times now when JYD's music hits, he kind of dances a little jig, but that's about the most you see from him. Right here, he's totally uninterested. Bob, I can't do anything about it. You're going to have a match. Well, we get the match. We get Root versus Carl Cox. The old people in the audience love Carl Cox. They love Carl Cox. He comes out there once again, shorty long. Here comes the judge, not the uh, pig meat Markham version, but no shorty long with here comes the judge. He comes out there. People are really popping for him. He's got his hat on as the thing starts. He attacks Bob Roop. I want to play a little bit of audio here, Mike. Here's Jim Ross. Again, this is the introduction of Jim Ross to this audience talking a little bit about killer Carl Cox. Well, boy, this is a wild match right here. It started off wild. Bob Roop, a great AAU national champion and gold medal winner against a man that's not won too many gold medals, but I think he's been the cause of a lot of gold teeth being placed in people's heads because Carl Cox will tell you he's not a wrestler. He's a fighter, and that's exactly what he does best. It's what he's doing right now, and that's taking it right to Bob Roop. The man from the Marine Corps that'll do anything with it. Look at him. He's throwing his cap, literally not seeing where it's going. From the Marines, coming in the ring with his trenching tool, pushing the referee out of the way. Now it's a one-against-one confrontation. Killer Carl Cox and Bob Roop. 
Killer Carl Cox has got to be one of the most physical wrestlers in the history of this sport. And he has probably the higher, highest tolerance for pain of any wrestler that I've ever been around. Uh, boy, I've had the, I don't want to say it's a privilege, but it's been a, the experience of refereeing some of his matches. They are hard to control because he is a wild man. Once he gets going, he's very, very difficult to stop. When was the last time you heard Jim Ross just take control on commentary? Oh, uh, like that? Oh, it's been a while. Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched all the New Japan stuff he did that people complained about, but uh, it's been a long time. And he's great here. And him and Boyd explaining Carl Cox is tough, and he is, it is wonderful here. And by the way, Carl Cox wins. Brainbuster, yeah. Bob Roop pinned. It's, and it happens, I guess, relatively quickly, man. This yeah. is not. Uh, I mean, we might be three minutes into this thing before it happens, but yeah, he beats Bob Roop, which is kind of, I don't want to say a shocker because it's killer Carl Cox, but the point being is Roop is begging for a North American title shot here and, and he just loses. It's great. Well, from there, we're going to move on the next match. We've forgotten about them. We haven't talked about them in a couple of weeks. The Samoans, the tag team champions against Jesse Barr and Terry Gibbs. I don't have too much here, Mike. Terry Gibbs gets pinned with a Samoan drop. That's all I have. Uh, my note was as simple as yours. It was <laughs> wild Samoans win. I didn't have much from this was what I told myself. Uh, and it's funny because in my notes, I also, I also on the same line as the Samoans and Terry Gibbs and Jesse Barr, I have, Hey, don't forget to mention the old people in the front row. When killer Cox won, the old people were still like having a great time. And the old man was taking a drag on a cigarette. <laughs> Well, I got something to say about the old man later on in this episode. Yeah. And I'll, and actually, it's during this. I'll, I'll expose it right now. The next match we're going to get right here. We're moving on with the show, Mike. Ted DiBiase versus Bob Roop. Bob Roop just lost earlier in the show to Killer Carl Cox, but Paul Orndorff is not there. Bob Roop was the other top contender, so he gets the title match. The only thing I want to point out before we do anything else, I don't want to spoil what we're about to spoil in a couple minutes, but the old man in the hat towards the end, if you notice... The lady in the pink next to him starts talking to him. So I think they may be there together. Towards the end of the Samoans and no, Terry no, no, Gibbs? of the DiBiase-Bob Roop match. Oh, okay. I'll, uh, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> you have to go back and pay attention. I think we may have the first visualization of him actively being talked to by a smiling person. But let's play a little bit of audio here. Once again, it's supposed to be DiBiase versus Orndorff. Orndorff's not there. Let's get a little bit of audio right now to explain what is going on. Television time. In the red corner at 252 pounds from Blacksburg, Virginia, Bob Roop. And in the blue corner, also at 252 pounds from Omaha, Nebraska, the North American heavyweight champion, Ted DiBiase. Hey, it is. This is a North American heavyweight championship match, and apparently Bob Roop was right when he came to our table. Paul Orndorff did not show up. Rizzo Smith, the matchmaker, had promised us a North American heavyweight title match here on television. Bob Roop was a number two challenger, and so it looks like he gets his chance. As you saw the introduction, and Alfred Neely called for the bell. A title match. Ted DiBiase defending his coveted belt of North America against the challenge of Bob Roop. Former AAU champion, amateur great from Southern Illinois University. And now he's going for the big one, a North American belt that he's wanted so many times and with such graciousness. He's really, he really wants it, Jim. He certainly does, Boyd. Uh, I could tell by the look in his eye when he was here at the table with us 
earlier in this hour that he is a very determined man and it's going to be very interesting. Two points here of interest that I want to make right now is number one, you know, why is, is Paul Orndorff not here? I think that's a big question to be answered. And secondly, how quick can Bob Roop recuperate after being defeated with the Brain Buster by Killer Carl Cox uh, a few minutes ago? It should be a very interesting encounter. There's a lot going on here, Mike. I got to say, we've been talking about Mid-South for several weeks now. This is, I think, the most entertaining Bob Roop has been. Like the last couple weeks, but specifically this episode. I think I agree with you. I mean, it's an important spot as well. Um, he kind of, when you first start seeing him, when we first start covering this, he's, I guess, a little bland. You know, I mean, you even mentioned his singlet, like uh, – I forgot the terminology you gave the singlet that he wears, but I do agree. He's, he's definitely, um, he's, he's turned it up a notch here with, with what he's got going on with DiBiase. Of course, as we know, Ted DiBiase has been using the figure four. It's his finishing maneuver. Bob Roop taught Paul Orndorff how to reverse it. So that happened weeks ago. It all leads up to this. Let's go to the match right now. He's a very intelligent man. There he looks like he's going for the shoulder breaker, but DiBiase has got some plans of his own. Great power slam. DiBiase with a power Hang slam. Hang on, they've been locking in. If he locks it in, boy, it may be all over right here. Let's watch if he can escape. He's the man that patented the escape. Let's see how it works out. There he comes, giving it all he's got. Roop's trying to reverse the leverage. Roop has reversed the leverage, and now the leverage is on the leg of Ted DiBiase. DiBiase's face, I noticed in a monitor, look at the, the contortion of DiBiase's face. He is at the hands of Root now with his figure four. DiBiase has got to get back on his back. He has got to get back on his back to, to gain the advantage. And the challenger all the time applying that much needed pressure. Both these men are in tremendous physical condition, but Ted DiBiase to, to get the advantage, to become the aggressor again, has got to turn him over. There he does. Now DiBiase's got the advantage. Goes to the ropes. Now the referee has got to break the hole, which he does. The referee, Alfred Neely, doing a fine job breaking the hole. Well, there we go. The figure four in the middle of this match, Mike. Obviously, it's something that's been talked about, something that's been teased for a while. But from there, let's go right into the finish of this match. Bob Roop done a fine job of saving that match when he grabbed that steel cable on the bottom strand to cause it to be broken. And there you're seeing Alfred Neely slammed outside the ring on the cement floor. The referee has hit the, the concrete floor. The referee has hit the concrete floor and DiBiase has taken a lot of punishment on that leg. As the one-man gang, Jim, one on the back bar who's giving the directions. 454 pounds, Boyd. He is really reaching that leg. Look at DiBiase's face. That DiBiase. is a steel ring post. You've seen him wrapping it around. He's trying to break DiBiase's leg. All Definitely 454 pounds. On the far side, pounds. he's still out. Alpin the referee, unable to see anything, being thrown out on the far side. Now you see in Roop now, as he himself goes for the finishing hold. If he can hold it, the injured Ted DiBiase, really being worked over by the one-man gang. Roop looks very confident at this point. DiBiase has sustained an unbelievable amount of pressure from General Skandar Akbar's one-man gang. DiBiase, you can hear him boy all the way over here. He's, he's yelling in pain. This match, is, it's all the line right here for Ted DiBiase. It's all the line right here. And Roop has got the whole of the figure four locked in. DiBiase may be unconscious. DiBiase's out. 
Alfred Neely called for the bell. The referee has stopped the match. Boy, it looks like this could be a very unique situation. The referee has stopped the match. It he looks gets the bell. What do he do with it? The referee's decision goes to Bob Root. The referee's decision stopping the match to hopefully prevent permanent in, uh, injury to Ted DiBiase. And right here on Mid-South, boy, we've got a new Mid-South, new, new North American champion. That's right, and everybody but the referee saw what happened. The big man, the one-man gang, under the direction of Scandal Akbar's responsible. We'll be back. The Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia versus Tully Blanchard and Mike Boyer after this word from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Oh, man, there's so much going on here, Mike. The worst thing is I wish they had mic'd the audience better because you could hear them a little bit, but you watch them and you see the reaction. When Ted DiBiase is, it's not even a figure four. Bob Root messes it up, but he kind of recovers because he gets him. It's almost like a Texas cloverleaf, but from a different position. He got, he has his leg. It's almost a figure four. And you see the old lady who's always in the center of the front row. And she keeps screaming, no, no. And then the woman next to her starts screaming, no. And then there's a girl behind her to start screaming, no. And you could see the fans are so into it. and. When the match ends, when Alfred Neely calls for the bell, they're kind of just sitting there watching. They don't realize that there's a title change. I mean, think about the naivete there. They just think, <laughs> oh, my God, he stopped the match because Ted's hurt. When he hands the belt to Bob Roop, then you start hearing the fans, and you see them. You see how mad they are. When Ted DiBiase, when the one-man gang comes out and starts railing Ted DiBiase's leg against the ring post, you could see the fans screaming. You see, I saw one woman holding her hands over her mouth, you know, like she's watching some awful thing. But <laughs> that's the one bad thing here. I shouldn't even say bad, but it's the one regret for me. I wish the audience was mic'd better because there's a lot going on. Yeah, when you can see them. Even I'll take a step back. And when, D, when the first clip that you played a second ago where DiBiase locks in the figure four and Root reverses it on DiBiase, DiBiase is selling it like to perfection. And oh, the yeah. Is like yelling and screaming. They got their hands on their head. And they're like, "Hold on, Ted! Hold on, Ted!" And then, he, then um, he Ted does reverse it, and then Root breaks the hole because they're in a ropes. That was perfect. Then with the finish, when one man gang runs in, like the people are just like, "Oh Jesus!" And DiBiase's leg is wrapped around ring post. The, the people are just starting to panic almost. Then Root puts DiBiase in that figure four, and when DiBiase passes out. The fans like they're like, what the heck just happened? And then when he hands the belt to Roop, like you said, the reaction, the people are just they, the air kind of goes out the building, but they're mad. You actually you talked about the front row with the old ladies and they're holding their hands over their head and they can't believe it. There's a there's a lady in the second row with a red shirt on. <laughs> she flips the bird to Roop because she's so <laughs> mad that, that Roop just took the belt from DiBiase. I mean. That's that's emotional investment, man. That's your fans loving it and buying into it. Well, they, I mean, they didn't love the fact that DiBiase lost, but they bought into it, and that's what you want. So now we have a new North American champion, Bob Roop. Obviously, Skandar Akbar and the one-man gang have gotten involved. DiBiase last week, as a commentator, talked about all the guys that one-man gang had injured. Dick Murdoch, Ernie Ladd. Well, he can now add himself to that list because the one-man gang has now been involved and cost him the North American title. We still don't know where Paul Orndorff is. But we will now move on to the next match, Mike. And this is a tag team match. Tully Blanchard showing up here. Unfortunately, he has to team with Mike Boyer, who is <laughs> just the weirdest looking guy at this point in time. He's always a weird looking guy, but it looks like he was like electrocuted or something. I don't know what kind of look this is he's going for. 
But Mike Boyer and Tully Blanchard versus JYD and Mr. Olympia. How do you get the crowd back into the show after everything that happened with DiBiase? You play another one bites the dust. That's how. I mean, if anybody's going to follow what we just saw to bring the crowd back to their feet for some excitement, you're going to bring JYD out and have another one bites the dust hits. I don't know if you noticed, but old Reeser Bowden hits a about a two second little, you know, kind of rhythm to go with the music. He's he's bobbing his head and snapping his finger, looks like his right hand. Uh, that's how you do it. And then here's the other thing they did too, that I thought was really, really good at the start of it. They didn't just do a traditional announcement. They had the, they had the heels try to jump JYD and Mr. Olympia as they were getting in. So the crowd's already on their feet, kind of dancing with another one bites the dust, but then they really, really get into it because, Oh, you son of a guns, you want to try to jump the babies. Oh, now we're into it. So the crowd who was just deflated, they're back into it and they're having a good time and they're enjoying seeing Olympia and JYD, uh, you know, put it to Boyer and Tully. And Tully does some pretty cool stuff for the time. He looks really good in the ring. He has good energy. He does, I don't even know how to call this correctly. He jumps up onto the middle of the second rope to jump back with an elbow drop. And it doesn't sound like much, but you don't see things like that on Mid-South TV or any wrestling TV for the most part at this period of time. So it stands out and he does it very crisply. And it looks really smooth, so it looks really cool. Yeah, I mean, you got to figure it's 1982, early 82. So when he does that, I mean, it's I'm not going to sit there and say it's the most innovative thing you've ever seen at that point, but it still looks really good, and it's smooth and crisp. Uh, another thing, too, when he goes down to pin JYD, JYD, he gets like a one count, and JYD just launches him off of his chest until he flies in the air. It is, it's a really, really cool visual until he's like, damn, I, I was going down to pin him, and that happened. But the match itself was super, super quick. I mean, it just... Uh, you know, JYD hits the thump pretty quickly and, uh, and and we're out of there. It's over. In many ways, the match is to set up what's happening behind the match. I'm going to play a little bit of audio here. I'm going to go back a few seconds so you can hear the fans watching the match. You can hear the fans following along with what's happening in the ring and you can hear how they react when all of a sudden there's a disturbance. I shouldn't even say a disturbance. When all of a sudden someone shows up. Listen to this right now. The wrestlers, Coco Samoa, Jesse Barr to come and assist Ted DiBiase out of the ring. He was unable to leave on his own power. He could not lift that leg. The junkyard dog on Mike Boyer, the big... The junkyard... Wait a minute. Jim Ross, there's Paul Paul Orndorff just now coming in the building. Paul Orndorff is right here in the studio. Paul Orndorff coming by the ring. Undoubtedly, he doesn't know his match has already been held. He's missed the match before. I never thought he'd do it again. The winners, you saw Mr. Olympia and a junkyard dog. We're going to check on Paul Orndorff and find out what's going on. And we'll be back after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. We'll be right back. Well, Mike, we'll come right back to it in a second here. But there it is. You can kind of hear it. I went back a few seconds, like I said, because you could hear a few screams. It's not pronounced, and Boyd doesn't bring it up yet. But as soon as Orndorff walks in the room, you see everyone start standing up and looking over. So you're wondering what's happening. And then you hear the screams. And then eventually Boyd says, it's Orndorff. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a straight. I remember seeing this as a kid. And when he walks in, you immediately think, wow, he, he, he sold it so well. Cause he's like, he walks in, he's like, the matches are going on. Something's up here. And then you see him and you're like, wait, 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 something something's fishy here and although Boyd does a good job kind of talking through it 
you can kind of you you already know because the other part is too you're looking at the clock too you're like okay we got we got we got 10 minutes tv time left what's going on um you're looking and you go something's about to happen something important's about to happen what the heck's going on he walked in so he is here what's going to happen next like that was the, that's that's my reaction as i saw all this play out towards the end of that match the show began with bob roop interrupting jim ross and boyd pierce at the announced position and the show will end with Paul Orndorff heading over to Boyd Pierce at the announced position. Let's go to this right now. Ladies and gentlemen, our next standby match, Iron Mike Sharp versus Rick Ferreira. But because of the skullduggery, the skulldoggery, whatever, who cares about the right adjective at this time? The man it happened to knocked him out of a chance at the coveted belt, Paul Orndorff. You better believe it, too. I got something to say. Everybody out there knows what kind of a man I am. When I have a match, I show up regardless. Now, you know, you something happened to me a few months ago that I got robbed out of a match. I got cheated out of it. Well, that's here and gone and done with. But you people out there know right now that I just got through running about six blocks to get here. Because when I got in my car to crank it up, it wouldn't even turn over. Now, I don't know who did this, but I got a good idea. And I'm sure that Ted DiBiase had something to do with it or had somebody to sabotage my car because he had everything to gain. Well, let me tell you something, Mr. DB. I'll say it all backfired because I had a little plan for you anyway. I had a little one-man gang plan for you to start with, but that makes no difference because I hear that Bob Roop just won the North American belt from you, and that's what counts. That's the only thing that counted, I thought. But as I ran through here and went up to the dressing room, I had one of the guys say, Paul, we hear you're not going to be here because I want to congratulate Bob Roop. Bob Roop wasn't up in the dressing room, was taking a shower. And the guy said, Paul, what happened? Bob Roop said you wasn't going to be here, that you flipped out, you're in the nut house. Well, let me tell you something right now. I wasn't in no nut house. Something happened to me very bad, and it hurts me so bad I can't stand it. And then it all dawned on me. Who had all this to gain? Bob Roop. You know something it takes? An ignition to get to my truck, to my hood. Just so happens I went through Bob Roop's pockets because he's in there bragging about how he outsmarted me. Well, right there, the keys. That's part of that keys right there. And not only that, a car doesn't start without this little thing right here. You see this right here? Bob Roop. You think you're pretty smart. You backstabbed me, brother. The man. Oh, we got to go. Until next week, goodbye, everybody, from Mid-South Wrestling. One way or the other. You got my belt, boy, and you will pay. That is strong stuff there to end the show, Mike. Orndorff is so great and so believable. Boyd is standing there stunned by everything that's being revealed, and he's so into it. This is almost like a perfect hour of Mid-South Wrestling. Obviously, it's not like one of the all-time great hours, but from beginning to end, it's a perfect episode. There's stuff happening. You can't wait to find out what happens next week. You don't have answers. You have some resolution of certain things. Great stuff going on here. No, they did this perfect. I mean, you got the first 12, 13 minutes of the show without commercials. Obviously, I'm speaking of you got Jr. who enters the scene and he, you know, he gives the update. You got everything with Bob Roop and then it finishes off at the tail end. I mean, the, almost all the matches kind of made sense uh, the way they were positioned and Orndorff at the end here, Boyd is just, he's flabbergasted. I mean, he, there's, um, 
I remember pausing it as I was watching it at one point, and Boyd makes a face of almost disbelief because he's like, I guess Boyd kind of feels like looking back now, I knew something was up. I just didn't know this was what was up. And I mean, Orndorff's got all the evidence. He's he's got he's got a wire and it's been disconnected and he claims it was found in Roop's bag. And, but I don't see, that I love right there in terms of the small detail. How did he find that in Roop's bag? Because Roop was in the shower. He went yeah. I mean, every little detail. I went up there, I heard he won the title, I went up there to congratulate him. I heard he was bragging about stuff. He was in the shower, I went through his pockets, I found this. You know, and um this was great. I wanted to ask you a question. I wrote this down when I was taking notes from it. Uh, Cornette, I thought, did a variation of this in Smoky Mountain with the stud stable, Jimmy Golden and Robert Fuller. They had their their uh, tires flattened, I think, and they missed their chance at the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Titles against the Rock and Roll one week. So as a fill-in, the Rock and Roll Express fought the Heavenly Bodies, and the Bodies won the tag titles that week in Smoky Mountain. I want to say there was sometime in maybe like uh, early 93, Smoky Mountain. but So it was like a variation of it in – this was kind of similar to that, but I thought this was uh, a little bit better in the way I can't say better. It was different because you've got the, like I said, he pulls the part and he's like, so he's got evidence. That's like, it's not just, he's not just speculating that Roop would have done something. He's not just saying I have a hunch because he won and he got the title match that something happened. He's like, let me show you people the evidence. And he pulls it out and then explains, like you said, how he got it. And as a fan, you're like, oh. And then, of course, the best part about all of this is, well, damn, I got to watch next week. I got to see, you know, they just set a major hook for me. What the hell? Another little thing he threw out there that I thought was really interesting was he says he set up the one-man gang to run in. He was planning on the one-man gang helping him. In his match, so I guess because he didn't show up, the one-man gang still had this obligation. He just gave Bob Roop that opportunity. That's a good catch. So he had already positioned the gang for it, but since he wasn't there, gang just was like, well, I guess I've been paid off. I'm still going to do something. Akbar Akbar would have been the one paid off. Oh, that's true. That's true. And then here's the thing. Akbar is not – how can I say it? He's not privy to – what's going on and why Roop would have, you know, turned his back on Orndorff. All Akbar knows is I've been paid to handle something, so I'm going to do it. Um, This is just really good. And again, I keep going. I go back to it. Now we have a reason to go. We have to keep watching because how does this soap opera play out either next week and the weeks to come? Because Orndorff is now hot. Orndorff is now hot, and so is Mid-South Wrestling. Bill Watts was not on this episode, and I could say that it did not hurt the episode. Jim Ross did great here, and it's beginning a hot period. And I think throughout 1982, we're going to start seeing something we really haven't seen so far. Just like this episode, there's a lot of excellent episodes. Almost everything's really good, but there's a lot of single one-hour episodes that from beginning to end are really, really excellent and filled with such minute detail that if you're really like a hardcore fan like me, like Mike, you could just get lost in it. It's so much fun to watch this. This was an excellent episode. Uh, excellent episode put together very, very well from start to finish. Again, I talked about it. The way they, I mean, again, first 13 minutes or so, there, there's no wrestling. It's just all um, storytelling, which you got to, like, I hate when people say nowadays, oh, my God, they talk too much and this and that. It's not that they talk too much. It's just that they talk too much about nothing nowadays. They talk they talk back then, and they, they narrated a story, but they did it to where it all made sense, and it actually told a compelling story. And that's what you had here. 
13 minutes of the first part of the episode is just storytelling. JR's doing a phenomenal job. You got Boyd in there with him, and they're they're really, really going through the paces of it. And then you had well-paced matches, matches that made sense. Just a really solid episode from top to bottom. I mean, the only thing you had in that episode that was a match that was just, eh, was maybe the Samoans and Terry Kibbs and Jesse Barr. Other than that, everything else was kind of had a point to it. As we wrap things up, Mike, let the listeners know how they can follow you and stay in touch with you and your programs. Hey, please check us out. Book in the territory. Myself, Doc, Hardbody Harper from Wildcat Sports and Entertainment. Every single Thursday and Sunday, we do two shows a week. The main show on Thursday is the NWA show. We we basically take a look back at all of the Saturday night on TBS episodes, the old 605 Eastern show that everyone listening to this, I'm sure, is very familiar with it. And we have a lot of other topics that we mix in on that show on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. Uh, and then the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Podcast or Wrestling Podcast every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Not Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. What am I saying? Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. Get the day. Is confused sometimes. The NWA show is on Thursday. The Smoky Mountain show is on Sunday, 7 p.m. Central Time for both. Yes, please check us out. Tinyurl.com slash BTT pod or wherever you get podcasts from, just search Booking the Territory. As a matter of fact, this last week, we finally went up on not Stitcher. God, I was about to say Stitcher. What the heck is that app? And of course, I can't remember it. Um, Brian, I'm filibustering here. Spotify, there we go. Uh, we finally went up on Spotify within the last week. So there it is. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Mike504Saints and then come join our unprofessional wrestling podcast Facebook group at tinyurl.com slash BTTFB group. It's where we discuss the shows and have a grand old time. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast available at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast. Classic wrestling talk and wrestling humor, the 605 Super Podcast. Of course, you can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605pod. You can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast, and you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. Of course, you can follow the Super Podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash superpodcast. The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, for Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally ho! Mm-hmm.